Welcome to episode 11 of the Permaculture Pimp Cast. Yeah, the Permaculture Pimp Cast, where we actually discuss permaculture from a pragmatic standpoint. I'm Billy. And I'm William. How you doing, son? Good. How are you? Well, still a little bit exhausted from the weekend, but like I said in the last video we did on YouTube, it is a good exhaustion because we got to spend this weekend doing a lot of cool stuff, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, Tip of the day, y'all. Don't plant your trees in the ditch of your mound of your swale. No, do not plant your trees in the ditch of your swale unless you live in an arid environment. That's the only time you're going to plant the the trees in the ditch part of a swale. Yeah. Which we just went over this past weekend at the swale workshop. So can you can you can only imagine what this podcast is going to be about because it makes a lot of sense right now having just done it again. And uh, we have had a ton of questions, whether coming through email, whether it was the video itself, but we're going to address most of the ones that we had from the people that were actually on site. William actually brought the sticky, uh, what do you call these things? Sticky Sticky notes. Yeah. You brought those sticky things home. From Cash Express. (laughs) Yeah. How about that? So yeah, we're going to address a lot of that today. And um, I think you're going to be glad you did. We're actually going to throw a couple of curveballs in there, but we'll cover that also in a minute. All right, right off the bat, farm news. Well, sad news. Uh, when we left, uh, Michelle's pet sheep, Mabel, we just lost Samson, her other pet sheep, a little while ago. And then Mabel, having, I mean, she made those, she gave those guys a life years longer than it should have been. Yeah, that those sheep were bad stock, bad genetics. Um, bad and mom decisions. Brought, yeah, bad decisions. Mom brought them back from the dead a few times. And I mean, they were, they were old sheep at this point. They were bottle babies. Um, yeah, they were, they were just old sheep at this point. Well, she loved them dearly, but folks, as I said in my Patreon video, that this is also a cautionary tale that if you're not careful, you know, the animals you bring home, if you intend to be a farmer, you got to limit the number of things you call bottle babies or pets. Also keep in mind that you're probably going to outlive any pet that you have. So I mean, just keep that in mind when you have them. Right. So we're going to make absolutely sure this never happens again. Um, The day it happened, the story behind that is, and I'll be brief on it. The story behind it was we were teamed up with somebody in a very bad situation and they were going to make some, they were going to make some very stupid moves. So we made a stupid move to preempt them (laughs) and bought some sheep that we should have never bought. He was just going to go out and during it's wool sheep. We got hair sheep and, um, it was an improvement, but we foolishly, we knew right then and there we shouldn't have got them. That's a long story, y'all, going right back to what we covered, I think, in the first episode of the Pimpcast, meaning don't ever settle for who you decide to settle down with when it comes to a homestead. So don't make those mistakes and don't make your stock pets. So that's tip number two and three. <laughs> there you go. All right, so we had a we did a swale class this weekend, swale S W A L E, which is a watering harvesting ditch on contour. We'll cover more of that. Uh, we had the baby chicks. Uh, man, what are they? Just over two weeks, like two yeah. weeks in a day right now, and they look like they're about to go outside. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're in that ugly transition phase right now, where they're like half chicken, half chick still. Yeah, but what blows my mind is that these are those ginger broilers. I can't remember where we got them from. But, man, I swear, in every single way, they look a little bit like Cornish crosses, man, as far as how they grow. They grow like Cornish crosses, that's for sure. At least so far. I told Emily that they were going to get ugly. She didn't believe me. She thought they were going to stay cute chicks forever. Well, she's singing a different tune now. But here they are, you know, in the middle of summer and uh, or getting near the shady side of summer. But anyway. For some of us. Yeah, for for definitely for some of us. But when it comes to these chicks here, the crazy thing about it is, is – Man, they, I, I don't know if this is a bad thing, son, but honestly, there's a few of them in there that seem to have the temperament of a Cornish cross, which in my, all the times we raised them in the past, they never had the sweetest temperament at all. In fact, they don't behave like chickens at all. Yeah, they're very scared. They're the complete opposite of the Bielfelders where they were kind of 
almost happy to see you. These ones are kind of scared and they run off to the other side anytime you walk by. They're just they just don't like being around you very much. Well, the good thing about it is we're going to take them out of that brooder, which it's starting to get to the point. If we left them there another week, it'd be a mess. Yeah. So we're getting them out of that brooder tonight. So there's actually a few things that's going to happen tonight. Farm news. Um, we're going to get those guys out. We're going to put them in the six by six uh, chick shawl. Then the ones that are in a six by six, those are the Bill Felders. Uh, we got rid of one rooster over to the Kramer homestead. Um, we got another one. Justin's going to take it from Metcalf Mills, and we're going to keep the other rooster. So here's how it's going to go down tonight. So it's it's quite a little move here. The old birds that are in that system, we're going to remove them out, and we're going to process them tomorrow. Well, the Bielfelders, they're going to wake up in the chicken tractor with the other birds that aren't as old or whatever. And I always like to keep some black ones in there because – you know, any birds of prey think they're crows, but we don't really have to worry about birds of prey around here. Uh, the crows that we that we cultivate, believe it or not, they actually run off all those birds of prey, so we don't have any of those problems. But just in case, we always keep some black ones around, so we got some ostrilorps in there. There's a joke in there somewhere, Dad. Yeah, yeah, there <laughs> probably is. In there yeah, yeah, we got to keep a, a couple of token blackbirds around. So there you go. So we keep getting free food scraps. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're gonna get us in trouble. But I don't care. It's our podcast or pimpcast. Pimpcast. I, I, yeah, got to stand corrected. Pimp here. the airwaves. Yeah, man. I tell you what, my voice is still kind of going sideways, but hopefully it's getting better. Well, we should probably film a video on that whole chicken move. That would yeah. probably be a better way to explain what we're going to do. Yeah, that's it. in a nutshell. Basically, the old ones are going to get processed tomorrow. We're probably going to show you a couple of little tricks we've done in the past, but nobody as of late has seen it. We did these tricks early on as far as packing birds into a tight freezer. We're going to show you some of that. We're going to do the regular processing. And uh, the new ones are going to wake up with the, with the ones that are not as new, and we're going to create a new flock. But plus... That rooster down there, he needs yep. to. Yeah, your mom's Filthy been looking. Gym. Yeah. Mom is the. This is the only animal mom is looking looked this forward to processing. Phil. Yeah, Fil- filthy Phil. Jim. She was equally. She was equally filthy. Jim was our other rooster. Well, she couldn't wait to put him in the freezer too because he started flipping out. Now this one started tripping, so it's time for him to go anyway. So the Bielfelders, man, I love their size. I love their temperament. They seem to be pretty good birds. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, so. Um, with that said, son, we're going to move into global. Oh, other farm news. We're going out to Doug and Stacy's festival on uh, Sunday and Monday. Yeah, we'll be out, out in there. Missouri. Where yeah. is it in Missouri? It's going to be in Hannibal. Hannibal, Hannibal Missouri. Which I'm honestly, you know, as a history buff, I can't. I always wanted to go there, but but it was on the other side of the state. Just didn't make sense. Every time I was passing through, it just didn't work out. And um, for me, from a historical standpoint, you know, Mark Twain, are you kidding me? I mean, all the history going up and down there, that river, I mean, there is no way I am not going to enjoy this. So hopefully we spend a little bit of time there and get to smell the roses a little bit around town. Yeah, so, yeah, I think it'll be cool. Yeah, I'm so, excited to finally meet him. I haven't met him yet. Yeah, I met Doug and Stacy before, man. They were they were great. I mean, I learned a lot, and I, I'll tell you what, I learned a lot about interactions, but that's not really what this podcast is about. But I think in the future we're definitely, definitely going to cover that. So... At least my experiences with them, which were extraordinarily pleasant. All right, global news. Um, Remember, when we cover the news, honestly, it's always something that is either food-related, but we're going to go a little bit sideways today, and we'll get to that in a minute. It's related to you. Yeah, it's related to all of us. So um, Daily Mail basically came out and said Americans are now basically shopping at a dollar store, 61%. Of all Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. I think that was the case before. I don't yeah, know what's I don't, new about that. I don't that. think that changed. I mean, that was the case before COVID. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> not sure that their numbers are all together. And also, keep in mind that during COVID, uh, Dollar General blew up. They opened up chains and stores everywhere during COVID. So the fact that 61% of Americans are, what, living, work, or shopping at Dollar General? Yeah. Is that it? Well, no, yeah. living paycheck to paycheck. Oh. But the fact that a lot more Americans are shopping at Dollar General, well, they just like doubled their store numbers. So yeah, but that's, <laughs> what does it say of the news in general? When I to get reliable American news, I got to go to a British company. Well, check this out: Decab Texas has two Dollar Generals now because they built a new one and they still have the old one. Yeah, well, that 
that, that, was that case, would explain. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I was going to add to this in this case, you know, I don't know. I can't even tell you how many people I know of personally that would have a $60,000 automobile, but ate hot dogs every single yeah. night. Yeah. They would, they would pimp out the truck, but then skimp out on the food. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I, for the life of me, I could never understand that. You know, literally these truck payments were putting these guys under the, I mean, it was extraordinary what was going on, but that was part of the truck Keep culture. eating hot dogs, then you got to add steps to your truck. There, you, <laughs> well, <laughs> you got to do all that. Well, the point of it being is that um, supposedly they're telling us, you know, the British press is basically saying, "Hey, things are getting pretty bad." As if people didn't already know. <laughs> when I'm sitting here listening to the guy at the checkout line in the local Ingles, which is our local chain around here, and you know the. They're, they're sitting there telling me, and I'm looking around, and I'm seeing how bad these uh, some of these uh, older folks are suffering. And we got we won't talk about exactly what we're going to do, but there's some things that we plan to do to help uh, locally. So remember, always start at home first. Okay. Now, frankly, that story didn't even need to be told. I just want to let you know that that's what they're saying. So um, keep in mind that things are hard out there, as if you didn't already know. You right. Know? Right. So... Um, all right, now we're going to get into something that's um, it's a little bit sobering, and it's far outside the realm of what you would expect us to cover in the Permaculture Pimpcast. But look, folks, uh, when I say permaculture is my passion, it, well, that's not entirely true. Part of my passion is definitely, well, beyond well, no, all. No, this is still permaculture because people care is number two. You know what, son? That's that's extraordinary. You're absolutely correct. So we're going we're gonna to cover people care. Look, the the scourge of humanity is what is happening to these kids that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants to put the focus on it. But we've raised a lot of money for causes that help kids in child sex trafficking, uh, satanic ritual abuse. Now, you know what's really sad is I can't even promote this on YouTube. If I did, they would absolutely never let it see the light of day, and we would get scrubbed. When I was trying to find the tra the trailer to show you guys, um, everybody but this guy's website was popping up. Every like hit piece on this video, the video just came out what today? Yesterday, yeah. It just came out to yesterday, and there's already hit pieces out on the video, and, and just all kinds of just debunking videos and stuff like that. So that's how you know it's legit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't believe anything until it's officially denied, right? Yeah. So um, in a nutshell, we'll, we'll let the trailer speak for itself. But Stu Peters, if you haven't checked him out, y'all, he is probably one of the best show hosts in America. I the mean, links, he's not the best. The links to everything will be down below. There you go. Here we go. Eight million. Eight million children vanish each year. So brace yourself, because before this film is over, you will visit the bloody fields of battle. 5,128 a day. 213 per hour. And one every 20 seconds. It is the largest and most pervasive child trafficking ring in the history of the world by sheer money and numbers. Most of these children are found and reunited with their families. But what about the ones we never hear from again? For Every neighborhood with 250 homes in it, 14, had satanic ritual abuse taking place. What if at the bottom of this rabbit hole, at the true conclusion of all the research, it was revealed that they told us the truth from the very beginning? What if the world ran not on labor, or sex, or money. But on blood. This will likely be my last broadcast.
There you have it. Um, look, y'all. It's called These Little Ones, the documentary that just came out today. I didn't visually watch it yet, and I don't know that I'm capable after what I heard. Yeah, I listened to it earlier. Um, yeah, it. I mean, it messed me up for a while. It it did it did me too. I was out but, there trying to make bone soften sauce, and I'm screwing things up because. Look, y'all, I know that we, you know, there's probably a number of people out there that heard this thing and like, oh, this ain't about permaculture, I'm out. Well, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you, y'all, because if I can use anything on the YouTube platform, on this platform, to promote anybody who's out there rescuing these kids, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And if I lose you along the way, then, you know. Well, good. Yeah, (laughs) that's on you. If you can't get on board with this, then we don't want you here. <laughs> yeah, so I want everybody out there. You can check it out at Stu Peters on um, Rumble. Well, it's on Rumble. It's also on his website. Uh, like I said, I'll leave all the links down below. And guys, share it. Instead of sending whatever stupid meme you were intending to send to your friends earlier, send this instead. Yeah. Share yeah. this as, as far and wide as you can. It's going to be linked down below, right? Yep. Right. We've raised money just as a little as a little side note, folks. I don't know what issues may come out of this. I mean, we've already had some weird things already happening with our payment processors and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, but you know, if that's if that's what I gotta suffer, if it means we just save one kid or get the money to help those um guys that move in the night to save at least one kid, then you know, I think I think that we've done our job. But the point being is at the end of the day, all of this means nothing with this with this going on, folks. If you watch or listen to this documentary, it will knock your socks off with what's going on in the world, and nobody cares about it. So, all right, y'all, on the happier stuff, we'll talk about that here when we come back in a minute. All right, back again, y'all. Now we're going to get back into the uh, swale topic, right? Yeah, we're going to get into that. So, um, yeah, on the happier stuff, y'all, because that's what really everybody wants to hear these days. Um, So, on the swales. Well, we did a swale class this weekend. What are you laughing about? Or fighting position, John (laughs) says. It can either be a water harvesting ditch or a fighting position. Well, it's funny he mentioned that because, honestly, I'd always thought the same thing when it came to swales and we've actually used earthworks there's really not a whole lot of difference between an earthwork and the military because that's part of what i used to do and also earthworks on your property so the two remember everything in permaculture should have multiple functions and so so, swale is already function packed and that was just another function to tack onto it well it, it really was and also you could look that same way when it comes to a hugel mound so, I mean, you could design your swales with that intent in mind, not with necessarily ease of harvesting, but you could design your har- your swales with the intent of fighting positions. Should it should it require that? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it's, so. It's you wanna, a possibility. Well, that's why this guy asked me in an interview once. I wish I could remember his name. Um, you know, why don't you write a book called Tactical Permaculture? And I was kind of kidding around with Jack Spearco today on his live when he was on with John and Nicole, and I just kind of put it in there. I don't know that they saw the comment, but I truly, I never in a million years would have ever believed a book like that. That's not true because we've always been into preparedness and we've always set things up like that. You can even check it. You can ask Darren from hacks for the homestead that we've always did our earthworks and all these things with that in mind. It was always a tactical motive to everything we ever did. Well, there is actually a tactical question in here. Talking about the tactical food forest. Well, son, let's first cover what swales are for the people out there that may be new to it. So why don't you take it away? So swales are a water harvesting ditch on contour. So on contour means it's a perfectly level ditch. Everything you excavate from the ditch is immediately buried or uh, dumped on the downhill side. The ratio for a swale should be uh, three. The depth is three times. No, I'm sorry. The width is three times the depth. I said that too many times over the weekend. I think that's why I'm stumbling. But yeah, the width is three times the depth. And uh, it, it can be used to harvest water, direct water, uh, grow your trees. It's a tree growing system. It's a fertilizer catching system. It's a water harvesting system. It, it is a highly functional 
system. Remember, folks, when, when energy hits your property, whether it's in the form of sunlight, wind, water, I'm talking natural energy. When it hits your property, you always have, and I know they got tired. Of, I, I've tried to beat this in right. their heads at this class, and it was funny because I remember the third time I said it, I saw this one lady uh, sitting in the back. Her eyes just got big as silver dollars. And I'm going to say to you what we said to them, and that when this energy hits your property, you have to really three choices. But I'm going to show you the cool part about it all. You can either capture it, at least for a little while, deflect it, or even amplify it. And there are times, in fact, we're going to employ some of those in the future. There are times when you can do all three, or maybe two out of the three. Right. So... Like in the case with John's, we're capturing it in like, folks, if you go and watch the, the YouTube channel, that's the cool thing about this podcast. So we can really go into much more detail and yeah. much. So you can use this hand in hand with the YouTube channel until we decide to play Stu Peters on there. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you're going to have to take my word for it without any visuals. So, um, so in that case at John's at the highest point of his property, this is one of the genius moves that William did out there. And I was so proud of him. In fact, we fought the whole way when I found out what he did <laughs> all the way there. And then we kind of met a compromise somewhere in between. But there was a accidental pond on the highest point on his property. Right. Well, in the case of capturing and deflecting, we William designed a swale into it where the swale will obviously catch the water. It'll hit a spillway in between the swale and the pond. It'll fill up the pond or the pond will fill it up. And then when it hits a point of saturation, then it's going to go over top of the spillway. Now, the beautiful part of all this is that you're capturing it and then you're deflecting it. But think mm -hmm. about a, a, that third one. Let me go ahead and throw this in there for the people that are wondering. You're thinking, well, how do you possibly amplify it? Well, think about this. If you have a pond and you have a dam, you have potential energy, especially when it's as high in the landscape as his is. Right. So could you not, let's say you were doing a Greg Judy on this thing or a Joel Salatin and using this as a reservoir for your animals. Well, every time it comes out of that pipe that's sticking up through the middle of your pond and it comes out, um, could you turn a water wheel? Could you turn an inline turbine? Or hit sprinklers that, if it's high enough in the landscape? Right. So um, you could use it to do a lot of work because it's potential energy. Or if it's even higher in the landscape, you could build a tromp and harvest compressed air. You could Just do from so, falling water. Exactly. So you could do so many things. And everybody, this is why it was such a cool project. And I'm so thankful to John. Uh, folks, if you haven't checked him out, special operations equipment, extraordinary man. His wife, Amanda, she's also fantastic. We also hooked up with Nicole Sauce out there. She basically is the brains behind all of this. Right. She put everything together. She makes it all happen. And you know the crazy thing about it? Not one of us could do it without the others. Yeah. Not yeah. one. Not John couldn't do it by himself. Nicole couldn't do it by himself or by herself. And we couldn't do it by ourselves. So this trifecta where we all bring specific things to the table and – Man, I am so pleased we had a legit Hollywood director out there. Yeah, we lucked out on that, man. These John and Nicole know everybody. Everybody. <laughs> I'm talking, we had a legit Hollywood director out there with, that Nicole found, and she's basically going to put together, well, she did all the footage, and then we have an editor basically putting it all together because everybody, I mean everybody, and they're still asking, did you do an electronic version of it? Did you, right. you know? And there will be one available um, as soon as the editor gets gets it done, and, and as soon as we figure out distribution, um, there will be a, a video version of the swale class available. And we're going to have to charge you, folks. The people that were there, they paid good money to be there. So, well, yeah, they paid money to to attend the class to get there for lodging, unless they camped. But even well, some then, of these people, man, they they incurred quite a cost, right, man. I yeah. mean, they came from far away. Yeah, some people came from Indiana or Just Illinois to see or a was swale. it both? Yeah. Just to see and be a part of a swale, but there's so Kansas. many. Well, yeah, you know what? There's so many people out there that wanted to see a swale. Yeah, it's one thing to see it. Um, you know, I think we're going to do a really good job, or at least the people that were doing it, because if it was up to either one of us, look, y'all, it would have been a, a YouTube video where we kind of hit the high points. But it was their idea to basically take this thing and do step by step. It was a little frustrating for me at first until I realized this Hollywood director, man, she is really, really good. Her name is Trisha. And she is fantastic because at first when she's kind of stopping me from what I'm doing, 
man, I was aggravated. I ain't gonna right. lie. Yeah. And then finally, dude, she was she was sitting here telling me to do stuff, and I was realizing, man, she really knows what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, she really does. Um, I mean, she just knew exactly what needed to be seen through the camera. Well, what questions to ask also? Because right. yeah, I'm what questions here, the viewer is going to be thinking? Right. So she made me stop and go through and. So I think it's really going to be quite a marvel, and I'm not so sure that there's a really good uh, swale class, especially with what you designed in with this pond. So yeah, I don't if, know any place in North America that has uh, a swale going into a ridgeline pond. Yeah, so I think, son, that was a stroke of genius on your part. I'm not saying that, y'all, yeah. just because he's my son, but he honestly, a little side note, we, we were arguing the whole way out there um, – I mean, I'm not kidding. When I say we argued the whole way out there, we were I was sitting there saying, Man, what were you thinking? Dude, why would you put this thing into a pond like this? And it wasn't it was actually not even a pond. It was an accidental pond yeah. because they were using the clay. It wasn't intended to be a pond. It was an area where they were excavating clay out of to fix the other pond. Um keep in mind this guy John has what, ten acres? Yeah. Is it ten acres? Yeah. And he has three legit ponds on those ten acres. Yeah. So, folks, moral to the story, especially these days, and you know, no matter what, try if you can. Well, I'm not going to tell you to do this. I'm going to tell you what I'd do. Everywhere possible, I am putting water. Every single. I mean, think about it. Like my friends down at Deep South Homestead. I mean, you look at it, Danny. The best catfish I ever ate in my life came out of Deep South Homestead, and they I harvested. They harvested every bit of that out of their own pond. So not only do you have water on your landscape that you could use, this is the benefit of a swale and a pond and all the other earthworks and things that you can do is that now you have that water captured on your property. Remember, capture it, deflect, or amplify. You have it on there, but think about what it does for you. You just created my favorite. My favorite meat is fish. Well, we also... So a, a swale forces the water to soak back into the landscape. So you're recharging your aquifers. You're creating a little miniature aquifer on the downhill side of the swale. These allow you to drought-proof your landscape. That's how we... Okay, so the property... We did a video a while back when I was getting married. Uh, proof permaculture works. And in that video, we showed you the homestead that we had in Texas. We still have it. And we completely abandoned it. And it went from an orchard into a food forest. The reason it was able to do that in Texas heat is because we had the uh, swales installed. It was harvesting water when it would rain in Texas, so that way everything was just fine during the drought. It was like Jack Spearco was talking about, because I know he has swales also at his property, where he was talking about, you know, with this drought, all of his neighbors, man, they got ancient trees out there, and they're dying, but his ain't. Yeah. You know, they're having a rough time, and it's tough, and he can't afford to just water everything like that, but... These systems work. We've proven it before, and we're going to prove it again um, at John's place. So we've done this many times before in the past, and it's really a joy. But think about all you people out there that are asking, well, does a swale make sense for you, son? When does it not make sense in terms of terrain? Well, if your slope is over 15 degrees, then you shouldn't use a swale. That's just going to cause a landslide, and it's not going to allow your roots enough time to establish that mound onto the swale or onto the, the earth. Um, that's one major reason. If you're worried about access, because uh, you can't walk over the top of a swale mound, your animals can't graze over the top of a swale mound. So you need to keep that in mind whenever you're designing in your swale, is uh, access as well. Um, are there any Well, other, if it is over 15%, then you ought to be using the doggone Well, yeah, uh, you should be using the terrace. It's not that you can't do any earthwork. You should just switch over to a terrace, because that's going to be a more stable... Uh, earthwork than a swale on far that more stable and something like that and so yeah you bring the right dog to the hunt but then there was also a lot of people asking well i got this backyard can i do it yes you can right they can be scaled down just remember to keep that ratio it's uh the width is three times the depth so if it's six feet wide it's going to be two feet deep so that can be scaled down all the way to like if it's three feet wide, it's going to be one foot deep. If it's one and a half feet wide, it's going to be what twelve inches deep. Yeah, and yeah. I've done them before. Like at the job I did last time, um, I did it all by hand. Yeah, and you I can do it. it with the shovel. You can use your shovel to measure the width and depth of your of your swale. Which it doesn't have to be anything massive. Which is exactly what I did. I made little mini swales at this job. In fact, it was some of our earliest videos that yeah. I did. If you go back and look at the permaculture at work videos, you'll see dad dig a swale by hand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the crazy part about all that is back when I was doing that, it was on a job site. I was working 12 hour days. 
I was out there getting this done when I got done work. And then, you know, during the day I, I was basically in this electrical shop and I worked as something of a, as an um, inspector. So every time lunch rolled around and we're talking Texas heat, y'all, I'm out there with a water can watering this stuff, trying to get it in. And it was working beautifully. And then when we left there, it kept on going and it was doing great, even in drought. And then lo and behold, they expanded and, there were some guys that was told that actually plucked up those trees and blueberries and everything else I had out there. They took them home. But the point being is that. Well, it, they took them home because the area is about to get, you know. Yeah, it was going to be covered in concrete. Yeah, covered so, in concrete. So, you know, a couple of the friends I have back there, they actually took those home. Whatever happened after that, I don't know. But it was proof of concept. And I also had chickens at that job. That was the part that freaked them out. Is that I asked the boss out there. I said, hey, man, you care if I run chickens out here? He's like, yeah, man, I don't care. Dude, I built a chicken tractor in my spare time out there and uh, did it with scrap materials, put it out there. It was a deluxe model 3000 is what I called it. There's a video on that too. Yeah, so we were running chickens. It was a flock of chickens, some of which we still have here. Yeah. Um, you know, just a couple of them left. So a flock of chickens that I was running in and out of these swales on a real life working job site. So it can be done. And then here's the cool part, too. Just a little side note. It doesn't so much have to do with swales. There was also a parole office right next to the shop where we were at. Two, three acres over there. Look, they were giving me that to farm, too, because now I had a demonstration site of what I did right next door. I said, hey, come look at what I got here. Man, there was peaches out there growing. It was, it was a, I mean, it was, it was proof that it could be done. And it was proof also that I could do it on somebody else's land, even though you and mom we're hours away working our property, but right. folks, it can be done by hand. It can be done in your backyard. Guess what? It can be done in your front yard. Yep. Yeah, so, it really can. You just have to get over it. Like I said, during the workshop, the human element is the most limiting element in a permaculture design. You know, what really helps though, is I was sitting there as we had so many students there and it was a joy. I mean, a real, I don't leave much. So when I do get that human interaction with people that, got sense man i really covet it and i enjoy it and so we were out the, the very first day after class man we're sitting around just talking about every and anything th a lot of which we probably can't even cover in this podcast right. yeah some of it we did um you know our director out there gave us a lot of inside hollywood stuff that that'd be a cool interview yeah i would love to see if she would be able to do that in the future maybe we can um man i don't know some of the stuff she talked about was actually believe it or not um, it kind of overlaid with uh, some of what we played in that Stu uh, Peters uh, thing. Yeah, in that trailer. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push her on anything like that. But if in the future she wants to talk about it, I will definitely spotlight anybody that hurts a child. So, but hey, also if you guys missed the swale workshop, it's not too late. You guys can still go to the Self Reliance Festival. And go see the swales. The swales are going to be there permanently. Well, that's a really good point. I yeah. mean, Self-Reliance Festival. Get um, the get the video and go see the swales for yourself. And you didn't really, I mean, you missed out on still quite a bit. But you can you can get by for sure. I, don't know. I, think, I think, honestly, they could look at this combined with a video that comes right. out. Yeah. And then if you go there and look at it, because there's no replacement. Look. If you watch the video and you go look at the swell, you'll be able to build a swell yourself. The reason I'm saying it's not going to be the same as being there is because we covered so much while we were there. Well, yeah, it was everything having to do with permaculture. I mean, we, you know, quickly designed some dude's homestead. It was, yeah. You know, I honestly, you know, that was one reason I lost my voice. I was thinking and I, I may have overdone it and, you know, had people drinking out of a fire hydrant. But honestly, I didn't want a single person leaving that place thinking that they didn't get absolutely their money's worth and every question answered that we knew how to answer. And I don't I don't know that there were too many we didn't know how to tackle. If everybody if anybody asked a question, they got an answer at that. If they asked while we were up there on stage, they they got the answer. Well, that was the beauty of having it. And I think Nicole is wanting to do that in the future, kind of keep it the small savvy classes but you know they got to charge you something or you're going to think it's worthless well you're also we getting don't get fed paid as well well we don't get paid for this either it's, we're doing it for the love you're paying to fund the the actual festival basically well and then you're also paying well when it comes to some of these workshops also you're paying for the material you know it costs money right. to get a doggone um mini x out or 
uh, yeah, excavator, an excavator out there. that wasn't a mini X. No, it it costs money to get that stuff out there. You know, the seeds cost money. The comfrey costs money. Right. I mean, all that stuff that we put in so far costs money. The so food did, and nobody's making <laughs> any money. I mean, if anything, they're trying to. John has been losing money every time they do these. So yeah. They're just wanting to break even. Nobody's looking to make any money on this. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just we are. If we were gonna, we were gonna do this whether anybody showed up or not. We we just enjoy the fact that we're around other like-minded people that, that don't think we're crazy for wanting to grow food, or they are equally as crazy to want to grow food. So, yeah. you know, it's going back to this whale thing. So, folks, like William said, uh, we'll give you a little inside track here that not a lot of people know about. And I basically got off the phone with Nicole Sauce at Living Free in Tennessee. That's another awesome podcast. You want to check her out. She is an absolute genius in so many ways. Um, Nicole and I and William and John were linking up again to do... I mean, it only... It only makes sense. We got the swales in. Right. Now, it's going to seem kind of stupid to not do a class where we show you, okay, now what happens with the swales? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could just leave it there. You can do like the federal government did back in the uh, FDR era under the uh, CC, CCC, I almost called it CCCP, which is what it became. Uh, that, but I digress. Anyway, under the CCP during the Roosevelt administration. CCC. Yeah. Okay. Well, I slipped there. Okay. So under the CC, Yeah. CCC. Yeah, under the CCC, yeah, they made a bunch of swales in the desert. And they didn't really, they didn't plant anything in there. They just, but to this day, those swales are still very much productive out there in the Mojave Desert. I mean, it's really astonishing how well these things work. So the next step is going to be, because right now all we did was dig the swales and uh, cover crop them with buckwheat, cowpea, and sun hemp. So the next step is planting the trees in the guilds. Well, all you Hooter bandits out there thinking, oh, they planted hemp out there. It's sun hemp, so you yeah. can't smoke this stuff. <laughs> so uh, anyway, it's a nitrogen fixer along with, I mean, we're just, we hit this thing with so many seeds and that's exactly what we want. So the next progression, when you have a swale, we're talking swales today. The next progression is we know that soil is utterly jacked up from the feet up. So we need to condition it to a certain extent. That soil plus is we, rock. Well, plus we did it in the middle of summer. Yeah. So all the people, and we know there were going to be naysayers out there, and this ain't our first rodeo. We've done it in the middle of summer, so we bring yeah. the right dog to the hunt. You can dig a swale anytime you want to. Just make sure you cover crop it and seed it, you know, immediately afterwards. Yeah, you, you better don't want get that, that bare done. soil just roasting in the sun. Right. So if you do that, you're only going to make your problems worse, and you're going to be shocked at what comes up there because it's going to be your pioneer species, aka weeds. And so what we do, we do. The same thing we've demonstrated over and over and over, even on our own property. As soon as we disturb that soil or it's disturbed in a big way, we go through, we cover crop it, we scatter mulch it, and then it's off to the races. And we've demonstrated it over and over again. But now you're going to see this thing in real time on a real swale and see how that goes. So the succession is going to be, now that the swales are done, we're going to let that buckwheat, cowpea, and sunhem come up. And then right before the next self-reliance festival, we're thinking the day before... We're going to go back out there and we're going to show you what to do with it now. Now that you've yep. gotten to the point, it's not ideal. It's not the most ideal part of the year, but it only makes sense since people are already going to be there. We're going to show you how to plant trees. We're going to put in our guilds. We're going to show you what to do with the buckwheat and the cowpea that are there and how we make that succession. We're going to give you all of our secrets right there at that workshop. So you're going to learn like the spacing on guilds as well and how to incorporate the different layers into a guild. And it's going to change over time as well. So, well, yeah. you know, keep that in mind. Your ground cover right now is basically buckwheat and cowpea. Right. Well, as it gets into the cooler months, that ground cover is going to change into every kind of clover you can think of. Right. You want a variety of clover. Right. Not just one. So then we're going to take a page out of Fukuoka's, uh, Masanubo Fukuoka. We're going to take a page out of his book where we're essentially, when we have this sea of whatever that, that's out there, We'll call it clover. We'll call it whatever. And we're going to put in our guilds. And that's exactly what we're going to show you. So there's going to be succession. So the next class is definitely going to be how to plant a tree in a swale. Not just tree, but give it all of its friends. We don't do anything in isolation. You dig? So once we get that done and all these swales are off and running, then it only makes sense to have a, you know, he's already got that sheep tractor out there, which is right. cat's meow. We'll take that sheep tractor, and then the next class is going to be how to integrate everything the way we do it here. Yeah. 
the way we do it there. So, yeah. folks, it wasn't hyperbole when I said in that in that video on YouTube that mark my words, if uh, you know, barring some you know conflagration or calamity, this place, if John just stays on the track that we're on right now, this place will be the consummate mecca where all things permaculture, where you can literally go see a food forest. You can literally go see an orchard. You can right. go there, go see a swale in action. You can go and see how they tie into a ridgeline pond. You can go there and see how these swales uh, go from like the one in the highest part of the property where it hits micro, squale, micro swales. John is becoming something of a pretty good permaculture designer himself. Yeah, he is. He really is. He's coming up with some good ideas on the placements of these future swales and just overall management and design in general. It is really mind-boggling, some of the stuff. And he's like a sponge, man. You can't tell him anything that he doesn't remember. Yeah. And he knows how to put it all together. So it's not what we're. It's not just what we're doing, y'all. Teaching these classes, we are evangelizing this sublime, magnificent design science. We're doing all this, and um, we're we're. It, and it's important when you do this for somebody that you tell them how to manage it. So right. John is on top of it, yeah. and he has said, you know what? I mean, he's thinking like a legit old school permaculture designer where he's going in there saying, okay, it comes off these mini swales. We need to capture that water again put it into another pond, then come off that pond and do the same exact thing we did up top. I think when we talked about it and looked at it, he was going to use the water five times before it left his property. It's it's, it's astonishing, y'all. So when we get back, we're going to talk Q&A. That's right. That's what warriors do, y'all. We fight for the little ones out there. Going right back to that documentary. Here we are getting into the Q&A session. And um, I know there was a lot of people that submitted questions through email and stuff like that. Even some that are online. So we're going to have to revisit this probably in the next podcast or podcast as well. Yeah, there is one question that I did get earlier from the emails. You ready for that one, Dad? Well, just right out of the gates, yes, son. Start. Well, he's got a pile of sticky notes that we're going to get to here in a well, minute. Yeah. But yeah, Th- run there's with a pile son. of sticky notes from the swale class that we're going to go over. But before we get into that, we had a question from Daniel asking if we could elaborate on collecting rainwater off of shingle roofs and whether or not that is okay to do. Well, my vote is going to be, and folks, this is one thing also I want to, I want to make sure that we point out that we don't always agree on our solutions for this and that was one thing that kind of threw people back at that swale workshop right yeah is, the tree placement right he thought one thing and i thought the other and it's a technique that's all it is it's uh he may have an opinion i got another opinion neither one's wrong both of them work it's just preference yeah. and neither one served a different function it's just it depends on the person you're designing for it depends on the the client it depends on what you're trying to achieve that's right so we'll cover that hopefully in the future all right so can you address rainwater catchment on a shingle roof? Okay, my vote is I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it either. It's going to be leaving the shingle so quickly, it's not even going to cause an issue. Well, I remember Eric Sider back in Texas. Folks, if you haven't checked out Eric, we talked about him, I think, in the last podcast. Real good friend of the family, good friend of mine. And uh, I remember him saying that he drank some of the water that came off Nicholas Burtner's house, the guy that runs School of Permaculture. And, you know, he thought it was just perfectly fine. You know, minus the the nasty chemtrail taste um, coming out of it, I'm sure. Um, no, he didn't actually say that. But the point being is that, honestly, if it means not getting the water or taking it, I'm taking it. I mean, and also you can, if you're if you're concerned about it, you can just hit it with a filter afterwards. I mean, there are like five stage filters you can use for your drinking water. There's three stage filters for your like just using water around the house. I mean, it doesn't have to go straight from the rain to the tank or from the roof to the tank to your sink. Well, they were kicking it down to an IBC tote. And, yeah. you know, from there, we've done that many times. If I mean, it, think about it this way. If it's coming off your roof anyway, coming down the downspouts, out into the yard, it's being watered with it anyway. So, And let's look at your other options. There's city water, which we know is polluted. There's well water, which we should be trying to replace the well water or like re- replenish the swales. Well. Yeah, swales with uh, the rainwater and can 
depending on where you are, that water might be contaminated as well. Rainwater is distilled water that fell from the sky. Well, it used to be. I mean, well, there's different stuff in there now, but honestly, I'm going to go with it, son. What's our next one? I I, I would, I definitely don't have a problem with getting that water off the roof. No, nope. Um, so here's the questions from the, uh, swale class. Here's the first one is where do I source bare root trees? And this is an obvious question for a swale class because it is a tree harvesting or tree, uh, uh, planting system, tree growing, tree growing system. There you go. Yeah. Well, when it comes to those, look, y'all, we're always going to lean you right back to the ones that are most local to you. Um, you're going to have to do a little bit of legwork on that. Um, you know, obviously now we have done this before, so I'm going to, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. If you can source as locally and in your zone as possible. Yeah. Look for any nurseries around you that'll sell bare, bare root trees. Um, if you have any like hippie type common areas around your town, anywhere near there, try to look for those places like near us. Marshall is, is a place where we go to get local bare root trees or even potted trees and stuff well, like that. Well, Let's not also forget that uh, Craigslist has been a pretty good place for a lot of people too. Also your NRCS agent, you can get bulk bare root uh, plants like native plants every, I think they do it every spring. I think they do, which is the wrong season to plant, but right. you can get them for very, very cheap. And a lot of them all at once. And some of them are nut and fruit bearing as well. Yeah. And you know, they do well in your area because they're specific to your area. Right. So try to get as local as you can, but I'm going to talk out of the other side of my mouth because right. those ever crisp apples I got from Washington state yeah. and we bought the patent on those. Um, and we got a, I mean, that's a whole story unto itself. We bought the patent on that and this is my favorite apple of all time. So we brought them here thinking, okay, well, we'll put them in multiple locations and we'll see if it works out so far so good, but it's not enough time to really decide whether or not that's going to work out. But if that apple works out, son, I'm going to be doing the Walter Houston dance (laughs) out there. We've also gotten, uh, your mom got those strawberries, I think out of, um, it wasn't out of Maine, but it was someplace up way up North. We're in zone well, we cover both zone 6A all the way to zone 5 because of our altitude here. Um, so we have gotten things yeah, in different we, places, we, but we try to stay local. plants at different locations. But another nursery I like is a Tai Tai Nursery, T-Y-T-Y Nursery. They're based out of Georgia. But I like them because you can put your growing zone in there, and it'll tell you which trees work in your area, which trees don't. And they also tell you which trees are self-pollinating or which ones need a pollinator with them as well. They and, give a lot of good information on there. Right. And there's also some other things in there where um, it's not just them. There's some other nurseries that have started yeah. doing that too. And it's a, it's a good resource, especially, but we are pushing the envelope in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons with all this weirdo weather that's going on, whether it's the sun issues and all that sort of thing. Um, we have been putting in trees that grow from a zone. I think a Cortland apple. Yeah. That's one, you know, they like in New York. Well, we've tried one here at a place where the zone might be a little more comparable. So we're trying that because we have, because like I said, we have our altitude here for every thousand feet you go up, you gain a latitude. So with that being said, we're, we can plant a variety of things. And so we're pushing the envelope. The next question is why bamboo on a dam and not other plants or trees? Um, you can plant other plants. You just want to be careful about that taproot. That's why I said no other, don't plant any trees as well. The cool thing about bamboo is that it, it develops an extensive hair root network that will keep that dam there. Now, if you do plant bamboo on your dam, and by on your dam, I mean on the downhill side of your dam, not directly on top of the key of the dam. Uh, but if you do plant your bamboo, clumping bamboo, by the way, on your, the downhill side of your dam, you want to make sure that you stagger the varieties because there are some varieties that die at 15 years, 20 years, 50 years, stuff like that. But you don't want all of your bamboo dying all at once. So you want to watch out for that. Well, bamboo is a grass too, you know. Right. So, yeah, I remember uh, Eric Sider telling me, you know, they had, first of all, massive drought in Australia. William was there for that. And then they had these crazy rain events. And Jeff Lawton, the genius, the pimp daddy of permaculture himself, um, as I understand it, with everybody else around him being absolutely decimated with these rain events, well, his were so robust that I think he only lost one pond and it was not that yeah. consequential. Yeah, it really wasn't. Yeah, it so, wasn't that big of a deal. So, yeah, you can use bamboo. Like he said, I want to reemphasize that he said clumping bamboo. Right, clumping. Don't and get that running stuff, y'all. You'll be 
<laughs> You'll be yeah. wishing you didn't. And the issue with the trees is they have a taproot that will eventually work its way through the key and then cause leaking issues. Well, that's then. exactly part of what John has a problem with out at SOE. Well, is that trees yeah. are mixed up in the dam, and he freely admits. You oh know, yeah, that's one thing I love about the guy, man. He's not trying to hide mistakes. No, he'll they he'll know point them better. out to you, like something you didn't even notice. He will point out to you and show you his mistake. Yeah, so to fix that, he said it was going to be ten thousand dollars. Well, they have trees in their dam, right? And it's creating these pockets that's really not doing him any favors. So he knows how to fix it, and that's part of what we're going to try to design into all of this. Right? Are all nitrogen fixers good fodder trees? Nope. Nope. There's that mountain laurel. Well, it depends on what you're doing. Well, there's that mountain laurel. There's that blue false indigo. Um, there, there's a few. You want to just Google it before you go feeding your animals. But be careful because they will say some are toxic, but there's actually a therapeutic amount to them. There's a, there's a, um, it depends what you're planning on doing with that landscape. So you may not, you may want that mountain laurel out there because you don't have sheep or something that may want right. to eat it. You might not care that but, it's toxic. But I mean, the only reason I don't have a whole lot of concern about that, because I've said before that I have yet to see an animal kill itself, even though there are tons of poisonous things all the way around when they had availability of things they could eat. Now, Beth Doherty was talking about this um, from Sean and Beth Doherty. You want to check them out. Independent farmstead, excellent book, excellent people. And if you look at them, they're grazing their cows where there are poisonous things all the way around it. Not only is I, if I remember correctly, not only do their cows eat it and we've seen ours and the bull and everything else eat this stuff that supposedly is deadly. They will eat it in a Look, if you drink too much water, you'll blow up your kidneys. So you can't have too much. There's too much of anything. So if they have a place where they know, oh, I shouldn't eat that. Look, they're not going to mess right. with it if they have availability. They'll they'll eat it for medicinal reasons. They won't eat it if unless they have to or unless they need it for a medicinal amount. And they'll take what they need. Yep. Uh, when is the best time to do a swale and what if I'm in drought season right now? Should I wait for the rain? Uh, we addressed that earlier. No, you don't necessarily you don't you can dig a swale whenever. It's just the time of the season is going to dictate when you plant trees. I think I think in this climate I would avoid it depends, uh, and everybody hates hearing that, but I don't know that I would go out of my way to do one in the middle of winter just because that ground is going to be tough to secure unless you can grow something in yeah. that. You know, you have a, a snow event, and let's say it's a big one, and all of a sudden you have I, – I can see a right. lot of erosion. I would want something in that ground, so I would pick any other time, at least in, in – and, of course, it always depends on your local climate, but I would always want to do a swale – um, in between major rain events, and if I can help it, I would rather do it where I could put some sprinklers on it to get it established, my cover crop, but I don't know that I'd want to do it in the middle of winter. Yeah, that's a good point. Do it when you can get some seeds established on there quickly. So spring, anywhere from spring to fall, depending on where you live. Yeah. Uh, how do you capture water on land too steep for, well, okay, we'll skip that one. Um, are there any situations where a swale would not be appropriate? Yeah. Uh, areas that you need access, because like I said at the beginning, you cannot, uh, you can't walk on top of the mound. You're not supposed to, you're just compacting an area where you want roots to grow. So well, you're just going to, you know, well, we also covered some of that in the video we just recently put out on YouTube with John Willis. Now that being, if we just ran that swale all the way across there, he had a gate that needs to swing open and closed. So you got to be thinking about your access points. Also, uh, the edges of your property, you're thinking, okay, this would be a good place to put a swale. Ask yourself, if you're going to graze around that, do you need to get around that with a golf cart? Do you need right. to get around with your vehicle? Do you need to get a pickup truck in and out of there? Do you need to get a sheep tractor in between there? And that is one of the big colossal mistakes we made early on when we did some of these is that we didn't account for the sheep tractor that was, was supposed to be 16 by 16, but it was really 20 by 20. Yeah. And so we had to lift that thing over the edge of the swale. 20 by 16. 20 by 16. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So we it ended up, we accounted for a 16 by 16. Well, we didn't count for the outriggers on this stupid thing. And, you know, that was one of those things. So whatever your access point you need, I agree with John. If you think you need 10-inch gates out or 10-foot gates out there, I'm going with 16. If I think I need 16, I'm going with 20. Because you never know. You what just you might want to get two 10s then to 
Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you exactly. I'd swing it open and close, but don't situate your swale in front of an access point. I know it's cool. Everybody loves a swale, and this is important, y'all. Let, this wasn't asked, but let me cover this. Any kind of earthwork, anything you do on your property, get a second, third, fourth, fifth opinion. Believe me, in many advisors, there's a lot of wisdom. And they're because you're so passionate about it, you need to get in people that are dispassionate about the job you're doing. We couldn't emphasize that enough. What can you do if you have already planted your trees and bushes? Well, I, I say you can go ahead and dig a swale uphill of your trees and bushes. It's still going to eventually benefit your trees. The water is eventually going to work its way down through the mound into the landscape and eventually passively dig your trees. I wouldn't do it too far away from your trees. Try to do them as close as possible and still have access around the trees and whatnot. But I, I, that's what I would say. You could also do another method, and it's where you cut a V on the bottom side. And basically, in a rain event, your tree, shrub, whatever the case may be, will actually be situated in the bottom of that swale. Now, it's usually not that big. Just imagine a V on the downside of your tree, and it's capturing all that water. But I, you got to also ask yourself, are these things really established? If they've been there for a long, long time, it may not even be necessary. Right, yeah. If, if your trees have been there for a long time, you might not worry about the swale and focus more on proper mulch. Because that's going to hold more water than the swale will. That, you know, I, I honestly think my vote would be for that because I don't know how many times you hear these stories, and we've been through it too, where they put it in the trees and they heard about swales or hugel mounds, and all of a sudden, oh, heavens to Murgatroyd, i got to have a swale, and what are you going to do with a tree that's already established? You're in right. a bind, so do your earthworks first. Next question is... Can you explain the tactical food force with swales and when will we see a book? I am going, yeah, I, you know, somebody had asked this question. I'm going to take my time on this because we also have a number of people. Remember permaculture overlays with preparedness. So I'm going to take some time on this. You're literally preparing for your hundred year events. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what you're doing with your swales. Even your thousand year events in some cases. So with that in mind, Okay, I'm trying to say this and not freak anybody out. I'm just going to say it, man. I don't have to worry about governing anything in this podcast. Okay, when you enter a property, it's a choke point, especially like one like ours where you have on one side a giant hugel mound, which could also, remember, we want to stack functions. Not only is it a hugel mound, it could also be a fighting position. It could also be a LPOP, which stands for Listening Post Observation Post. Now, on the other side is flanked with a pond that we still have yet to build, and hopefully that happens pretty soon. Now, you're thinking, you drive in there, and you're thinking, wow, man, this looks really, really awesome. I love this. How great. What you don't realize is that at that narrow opening, you just, you just got funneled. You are in a funnel. You're not going to drive through that pond, and you ain't definitely ain't driving over that hugel mound. So what you think are functional are actually at the same time tactical. So I have this pond on one side that has fish, crawdads, anything else you want in it. You know, it could be a place for livestock, but it's also an obstacle. Remember, we covered that a while back in a previous podcast. On the other side, you got a hugel mount, okay, growing medium. Anybody from the road doesn't know that. I mean, all they know is they see stuff growing up on it, and that's all they need to know. But it is very, very functional. We're growing food in both places, but both places in between that is a road is an access point. So there is only one way to come up that way. You're not just going to drive through a pond. I mean, in fact, if done properly, even one of the, even one of the really good military vehicles, well, it better be amphibious. I mean, whatever the case may be. So when it comes to tactical permaculture, I was joking before, but you know, I said it as a joke, but I, I really wasn't. I mean, I think that is a book I was asked in an interview by, um, a guy out of Virginia, I don't remember the podcast. I'm very sorry about that. I don't remember the name of the podcast, but he was saying, when are you going to write the book on this? And I'm like, well, whenever I get around to it, I just don't have time. Even in the winter, I don't have time. We don't really take any breaks, but it's probably something I probably ought to get done. Hey, Dad, we got to move those chickens. Yes, <laughs> we do, which means, you know, it's kind of getting long in the tooth. But so, folks, 
look, when it comes to tactical permaculture, I think that requires really a whole entire program. And we're going to yeah. try to do that in the future. So, folks, remember, if you need bone sauce, if you need comfrey, you need anything from us, go check it out at the website. Till next time, stay alert, stay alive.